it's hard to watch, isn't it? If you're a parent in this room this morning or a grandparent, you watch that and you think, especially those of you who have got older kids or maybe kids who have uh, already graduated and moving on to, to college or into life, you probably remember it like that. It was just those, those flashes, the speed at which things happened. I've got to be honest, I've got an eight-year-old daughter myself. I've got two wonderful sons, 15 and 13, and then I've got an eight-year-old daughter. And, and when I watch that video, I mean, I've watched this like five times now, getting ready for this message, and I still tear up watching it because I'm like, I don't want this phase to change. I love this stage that she's in right now, or I love this. And, and watching that and seeing how quickly it just uh, it gives you all the feels, doesn't it? Do you guys ever use that phrase? I checked with my son because I think it's a cool phrase amongst teenagers. And he's like, no, dad, no one uses it. So <laughs> there we go. All the fields, word. I'm right up with my uh, <laughs> contemporary culture and uh, wording. But the truth is that these changes or phases, as we're going to call them during these series, they happen throughout life, don't they? If you're an adult here this morning, then there has been some changes that you've gone through. Maybe you graduated college, maybe you got married, your first job, your first house. But the reality is, it's true, isn't it, that we don't, those phases don't show up more clearly than in the life of a child. Things change so quickly. I bet these mums and dads this morning, when they saw that family picture, thought, wow, already she looks different in that picture. And then she's going to go through preschool and then grade school and then middle school and high school. And each phase, it just seems to come and go so quickly. And for, for families um, like ourselves who are kind of in the middle there, we've got kids who haven't all the way grown up yet, but they've, they've, they've gone through some of these phases already. I see those phases happening so quick. And if you're not qu careful, you can miss some of them, can't you? I remember when Ben was born, he was uh, he's nearly 16, so this is almost 16 years ago, he was a baby, and uh, at seven weeks old, I had to travel to England for a mission trip, so I left Casey and Ben home alone, and uh, I remember being on this mission trip and getting this call from Casey over there in England saying, hey, Ben's really sick, uh, we're at the doctor's, and uh, I'm really worried about him, I think maybe I should take him to the hospital. And I can remember being 4,000 miles away thinking, I'm sure it'll be fine. Just, um, is this a medicine or something? And, and then she handed the phone to the doctor and he's like, Mr. Jane, your son does need to go to the hospital. I was like, oh, okay. So why I wouldn't believe my wife, but I did believe the doctor. I'm sorry, Case. I'm just thinking that through. And she's like, yeah, welcome to my world. Um, but he had what was diagnosed as croup, and it was just a really bad cold, I think, that just got, you know, and I remember going into this room with these other missions leaders that I was with and just saying, guys, I need you to, to pray for my son. I was really scared and kind of crying a bit, and we prayed for Ben, and I came back, and by the time I got home, he was on the road to recovery, but I remember for us, that was our first experience of, of having a child who was like really sick, and I missed that. I wasn't there to be there with Casey during that time. I've been there other times with other kids when they've been through that. But the reality is there are different phases that our kids will go through growing up, and I don't want us to miss any of those phases. So this series that we're starting today, and we're going to carry on over the next couple of weeks, is called It's Just a Phase. And it's all about the next generation. That's right, we're going to be spending three weeks talking about kids and teenagers, so I'm guessing that right now there are two reactions to that announcement. As I share that over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about children, about young people, about teenagers. There will be two reactions here. One will be from the overwhelmed, underprepared parents in the room. Finally, thank God. 
I need to know how to do this. I am, this is, I'm like herding cats here. I need some advice. I need some counsel. I really want to do this right, but I'm so overwhelmed. I uh, was preparing for this message and I came across this anecdote about President Woodrow Wilson. (laughs) That's a tough one, isn't it? President Woodrow Wilson. You know who he is. President Wilson. (laughs) Apparently he was entertaining a friend one day in the the Oval Office and as he was talking to this dignitary, his daughter, his seven-year-old daughter kept running in and running out and then she'd run in and run out. And finally this person said, "Uh, President Wilson, are you uh, able to maybe do something here to control your daughter? He said, listen... I can either run the United States or I can control my daughter. I can't do both. (laughs) And sometimes I think as parents, we feel like that. It's like, man, I could either be the president of the United States or I could raise my kids. They are both equally as difficult. So maybe you're one of those people in the room this morning, you're a parent, you're thinking, thank goodness, because I need to know about this, because I obsess every day about whether or not I'm doing this right. Or maybe you're part of the second group in the room this morning, you're thinking, oh, this is awkward. Because this doesn't apply to me at all. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a young adult or you're single. You've got no kids or you're married with no kids. You don't plan on ever having kids. In fact, maybe your kids are grown up. Maybe you just don't really like kids. (laughs) And you're sat here thinking, I'm not sure this is going to apply. Well, I believe that whether you're here as the parent who's looking for help or here and kids aren't even on your radar yet or they are way back in the rearview mirror, I think through this series you're going to get to hear about just kids in general. How God loves children. How Jesus, when he walked this earth, had time in a culture where children, and we're going to hear about this, weren't really lifted up, and Jesus lifted them up. How here at Connect Church, we put a lot of time and energy and resources into children here and across the world. So you're going to hear a lot about this over the next three weeks, and I think every one of you, whichever camp you're in, are going to be challenged as you get to hear more about the Father heart of God And what he feels when he looks down on these precious children, teenagers, and how we can play a role in that relationship. You know, someone once asked the novelist George MacDonald why he enjoyed writing stories about princesses. He said, because every little girl is a princess. And I got to pray with three princesses this morning. Um, I, I I prayed with the, the Bates family. They've got two little boys, and now this princess has entered your family, and everything will change. As a dad with two sons, and then Emma came along, it's, 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 it's a new day altogether. But you know, not everyone sees kids as royalty. Not everyone has seen kids as royalty. In their book, Small Matters, uh, a friend of mine actually wrote the book. His name's Greg Nettle. I was with him last week, and Jimmy Milado. And they talk about how crazy God is about kids and how much they matter to him. In this book, they remind us that in ancient Rome, children who were born with birth defects or health issues were sometimes killed. The Romans killed children who were not wanted or who were the wrong gender. They would abandon children, leaving them on a dump pile. Now, some of them would have been rescued, but only to then live lives as slaves. And then along comes this man named Jesus. And in the midst of this environment where children were being killed or abandoned or mistreated, this quiet revolution starts to begin. And these followers of Jesus start to behave differently. These Christians, these followers of Christ, they didn't despise children. They didn't use them as slaves because Jesus had taught them differently. 
He taught them in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, that they are to be blessed. He would take them into his arms and bless the children. He taught his followers in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, that unless a person becomes like a little child, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. In the ancient world, where children were frequently ignored and abandoned, there was no one who praised or valued little children the way that Jesus did. And we can see that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. And the reality is, you might be here this morning, and you may say, well, thank goodness we're not in ancient Rome anymore. Thank goodness we live in a a, a world today where children aren't treated like that. But the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, kids still are in danger. In third world countries, it's very often the kids who are the hardest hit by poverty and sickness and exploitation. And we may sit here this morning and think, well, thank goodness we were fortunate enough to be born in um, in the Western world where we're safe from that. But the reality is that we live in a country where kids have access to everything a child could ever want. And we still hear stories of kids who have everything battling depression and loneliness. Kids ending their lives because of social media and the impact that that's now had on bullying and peer pressure. What we discover is whether in poverty or prosperity, very often it's still children that are the most vulnerable in this world. And that's why over these next three weeks, we're going to talk a lot about how precious Jesus felt children were, how important they are how they actually can show us something of the nature of God if we'll open our eyes and be willing to look. You know, Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, he wrote a collection of Proverbs, and they're all fantastic. And listen to what he said in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. He said, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's great advice for these young families here this morning who are just kind of starting off. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn away from it. We've talked about this here before at Connect, but Moses stood before all of the Israelites. They've just come out of Egypt, and they're headed towards the promised land, and they're learning what life's going to be like as a chosen people in this new environment. And Moses talks to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. He's just told about the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, what it means to follow God. And he says to all the people gathered there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he goes on, he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And he wasn't just talking to the parents there in the community. Moses was addressing the entire community. He says he was saying, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, friends, it is your responsibility as a collection of people here this morning. It's your responsibility. It could have been the morning. It's your responsibility as a collection of people to pass on these commandments to the next generation. He was the original person to come up with that it takes a village concept. What Solomon and Moses are saying is that we have to be intentional as adults, as parents, as grandparents, as uncles and aunts. We have to be intentional in what we say and in what we do. We actually have to make it a goal to impact the spiritual lives of our kids. And I believe we can do this. 
Because I believe we live in a society and in a culture where we really do enjoy doing things for our kids. I look around, our kids are active in all sorts of sports and activities, and I just, I look at my calendar sometimes, and it's like you'd need a logistical engineer to figure out how we're going to make it through this week. I've got to get this kid to soccer, this kid's got to get out here. I have a friend, and her Facebook post last week was, it's a beautiful day to be a soccer mum. Three kids, five games, two states, four cities, we've got this. I'm like, that's my world right now. I feel like we're all over, but I love doing it. Because I love doing that for my kids. And within reason, I think that's a good life to have. Because our kids learn and develop a lot, don't they? Through sports, through the arts, through education. These are all great parts of their, their development. There are a lot of life lessons that are being taught and formed in this stage of life. But I think as parents, we need this reminder, don't we? That every other accomplishment... Every other goal, every other activity, every other award ceremony, they should all pale in comparison to our goal of raising sons and daughters who love and follow Jesus. Nephews and nieces and grandkids who love and follow Jesus. That should be our goal. Because sometimes I think our schedules may tell otherwise. Imagine this, imagine if we could go a hundred years into the future and somehow an archaeologist was able to, to uncover that iPhone that you lost and they powered it up and they got into your calendar and by getting into your calendar they were able to kind of get a, a picture of this man, this woman who once lived and the job they did of raising their children. As they looked through that calendar, would they assume that you were raising an academic? Would they assume that you were raising the, a future soccer star? maybe a professional Pokemon hunter. I mean, looking at the hours and minutes that are spent each week. Or would they look and see that the time that we've allocated reflects that we chose to raise our kids to become men and women who pursue and follow Jesus? Would they see that in our lives, in what we do? Would they see that intentionality that we have? to build that into their lives on top of all of the other physical and educational and artistic things that our kids are doing. We have to have a game plan because it's just a phase and we don't want to miss it. It'll go by so quick. And you know, it's never too early to start. Your game plan can begin when they're a baby, when they're a toddler, a preschooler, an elementary kid, a middle schooler, a high schooler. The importance of loving and raising kids to follow Jesus is just too risky, I think, to leave to chance. It's too risky to just say, well, hopefully this works out. I honestly believe if we want the next generation to love and follow Jesus, we're going to have to come up with some kind of plan, and we're going to have to come up with that plan now, parents and non-parents alike. So what in the world should we do? I feel like everything I've said so far has got a lot of nodding heads, but you're all like, I know, I agree, but how? Seriously, what should I do? I think we get overwhelmed sometimes, don't we? We get hung up on this and think, well, maybe I need to change. Maybe I just need to start just leading a Bible study every day. Kids, come on, it's dad's Bible study time. Gather around. Right now, they're doing a series in Connect Kids, and uh, uh, the, the teaching is being done by a ringmaster. It ties in with what they're teaching, but maybe you've kind of dropped your kids off, and you've seen that and thought, well, I better get a ringmaster outfit if I'm going to get serious here about teaching my kids about Jesus. 
But I actually think for all of us here this morning, it can start very simply. There's a very simple couple of steps that you can take as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and coaches, whatever influence you have in the life of a child. And it can come by answering these next two questions. These are the two questions I want you to be thinking about all this week. The first question is this. Am I modeling to the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus? If I want my son and daughter to grow up and one day be a follower of Jesus themselves, am I modeling what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus? If that's something that's a priority for me, if that's something that I would love my kids to grow up and pursue, am I modeling that in my life? You might say, well, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? I'd say that your character is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Paul had a couple of great things. He said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he was writing to the followers of Jesus there. He said, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. As he wrote to this church, he was looking at these brand new Christians, these followers of Jesus saying, it's almost like I've got these labor pains because I want to see you grow and develop and become more like Jesus. I love what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist, when he had an encounter with Jesus, he met him for the very first time. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said this. He said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. That's what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, to just pray that prayer and say, God, I want you to become greater and greater in my life. I want me, I want that to become less and less, and I want you to become more and more. That's how I become more like Jesus. There are some simple things you can do to to advance towards this goal. You can attend church regularly. You can join a small group with others who will challenge you on your journey with Jesus. You can spend time on a regular basis in in prayer and reading the Bible. You can take on the responsibility outside of that hour on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I'm going to take some responsibility for my own relationship with Jesus. I'm going to crack open this book. I'm going to read the Bible app on my phone. I'm going to find a reading plan to do because I want to learn more of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Because I want to model to the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's the first question you could ask yourself this week. Am I modeling to the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus? Here's the second question you could ask. Am I spiritually available to the next generation? Am I spiritually available to the next generation? Here's what I mean by that. I believe this morning that as parents, we are available for a lot of things. We're available for those middle-of-the-night feedings. You're available to research the best preschool possible. I talked to a friend of mine recently. He said, we've had to be at this preschool at 6.30 in the morning at this time to make sure that our kid gets signed up for the next year of preschool. We're available. We're available to go to our job so we can put food on the table, to go to the choir concert, the birthday parties, to take the prom pictures, to do the college visits. As parents, we're available. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a parent. And yet still, many of you are available to kids. You're at baby showers. You're there for your nieces and nephews. You're bringing a meal to a new mum. You're going to those birthday parties. You're buying popcorn from the Boy Scout next door. You're coaching that team. We're available, aren't we, in so many ways to the kids in our lives 
And while these things are all important, sometimes we allow that kind of availability to trump the most important availability. And that's spiritual availability. Being present to engage in spiritual conversation with the next generation. So once again, I want to ask this question. Am I available spiritually to the next generation? You know, over the course of this um, series, we're going to keep tapping into these, these four phases that we're going to identify in the life of a child and teenager. They're preschool, elementary, middle school, and high school. And here at Connect Church with Connect Kids and Connect Youth, we put a lot of time and energy and leaders and resources into those areas because we really think they're important. And we also feel that in each one of those stages, in each one of those phases, there are different questions kids are asking. In that preschool phase, it's, am I safe? That's the question that, that ultimately a baby growing up wants to know, am I safe? Then they kind of move into that grade school chapter of life, that phase where they want to know, do I have your attention? I've got a wonderful daughter right now, and she's always, she wants to show me something or tell me something. She's, she's asking this question, do I have your attention? In middle school, the question they'll ask is, who am I? And then in high school, the question they're asking is, what should I believe? Now, let's be honest. None of the kids in their lives are articulating these questions. You know, I've got a great middle school son, and he hasn't yet come to me and said, Dad, who am I? <laughs> well, your will. <laughs> That's who you are. He hasn't asked me that question, but as middle schoolers, they are going through that, that, that question in their life. That's kind of the phase of life where they're starting to wrestle with, with the things of those questions. And I want to ask, are you spiritually available to be able to answer those questions? Are you spiritually available to be able to engage with them in these different phases of life? Now, I find that when I teach this, because I really think this is important, we'll teach on this on a regular basis. We talked about it, um, it was about a year, a couple of years ago, we did a series called Losing Your Marbles. Do you remember that? We had the marbles on the, in the jar, and the, each marble represented how many weeks it was until your child's graduated. And then we encourage you to go and get a jar of marbles and take one out for each week, and everyone was thoroughly depressed <laughs> at how quickly their marble jars were going down and how many few weeks they had left with their kids at home. But the reality is we have a huge responsibility as parents and as grandparents and uncles and aunts to be available to the next generation. But here's the pushback I get when I teach on this series. I get a little bit of pushback, and I'll tell you where it comes from. So my kids, they love to play sports, and I love watching them play sports, and I love coaching them and helping them in their sports as long as it's soccer. <laughs> Because unfortunately, outside of that, I'm not really a whole lot of help. In fact, if you want to get an idea of, of where I stand when it comes to American sports, I think this sums me up perfectly. Check out this video. Find it? Yeah. All right, another one, just like that. Right in the old bucket. Good toss. See, that's much better. That was good. You had your shoulder pointed, you kept your eyes on your target. Let's do it again, watch me. Just like that one. The durability of the Volkswagen Passat passed down something right. he will be grateful for. Good arm. That's the power of German engineering. Back to you. <laughs> that is how I coach baseball. It's not pretty. 
So I entrust people who are much more skilled at basketball and baseball and dance to teach my children, because believe me, you don't want to learn to dance from me, Emma. Go to a, go to a class, you'll be much safer. And that same mentality creeps into the church a little bit, doesn't it? It's like, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about spiritual things. So that's why we come to church, Dave. We come to church every week so that you can teach my kids about the Bible. So that Connect Kids can teach my kids about Jesus. And that's great. Do you know what? We will do that. We'll spend a lot of time and energy trying to do that to the best of our ability. But I want to just share a little visual illustration this morning to, to show the problem with that. So when you came in, every one of you this morning got a glow stick. Um, it was huge. You'll know it when you got it. It was a massive glow stick. <laughs> so now is the moment where you can break your glow stick. Go ahead and give it a break. If you haven't already broke it, I caught a few people earlier as I went to shake hands with them. They were already glowing in their hands. So, All right, so we'll break them. We'll give them a little shake. Now, uh, if we could dim the light slightly, and if you could just all raise your hands so we can see those glow sticks. There they are. Take a look around. Now, do you see all those red glow sticks all around the room? But actually, amongst all those red glow sticks, there are four yellow glow sticks. Would you stand up, please, my yellow glow stick people? There they are. You see those four? Those four represents the four hours, the four Sundays in each month. The red glow sticks represent every other hour in the month. So we love getting to see your kids on a Sunday morning, but look at how many hours there are in a month. And to be honest with you, it's 720 hours in a month. So there, are, there should be more glow sticks, but there's still only four Sundays. You guys, thank you very much, Yellows. You did great. Well done. <laughs> you see, I chose those colors specifically. Here at Connect, we follow a curriculum with our kids. It's called the Orange Curriculum. And here's why we choose to follow this orange curriculum. Here's the name where it comes from. The red sticks that every one of you who is holding a red stick, that represents the love of the home. Red represents the love for, of the home for every child. And the yellow represents the light of the church. And orange is that blending together. We don't believe that it's just us taking your kids for an hour once a week. We want to partner with you. The reason we did this baby dedication service is because we want to make a commitment to these families to make orange. To say the, the yellow of the church and the red of the home, they come together to form orange. We want to help you for that hour on a Sunday morning, but we also want to equip you as parents. So I know that if your kids are in Connect Kids, you go home with sheets and you get emails with questions that you can have conversations with your kids. If you're in preschool, I know they send you home with placemats, with stories and memory verses that you can talk to your kids about. And I know that this is overwhelming, but when you see all the red and you see the small amount of yellow... You may feel that when it comes to spiritual things, you pitch like the guy in that video. <laughs> You're like, Dave, I don't know. But what little you do know, just living your life as a follower of Jesus, showing that example to the kids in your life. Pray in that prayer. Say, God, help me this week to be spiritually available. Maybe there's a spiritual conversation. Maybe this week my middle school is not going to ask me, who am I? But there's going to be a conversation that we're going to have that is coming out of that deep question that he or she is wrestling with right now of, who am I? 
What do I believe? Am I safe? And I can be spiritually available to the child in my life. I came across a study this week that was performed back in the 70s, and there was some um, psychologists that were trying to determine what was causing crime in the world. So they, they went through 250 prisoners, and they interviewed them all, they studied them all, and they, they tried to find some correlation there, some data in what went wrong. They expected race to play a factor. They expected poverty to play a factor. They expected geography, where that person grew up. And, and all of those played in a little bit. But when they came to the end of their study, all that they could conclude was that some point in every one of their upbringing, their moral compass didn't line up correctly. Their moral compass was sent in the wrong direction. Their conclusion at the end of this study was that in that very crucial age of zero through about six or seven when morality was being established, that they didn't have the influence in their lives that they needed. It could have been a local church. It could have been a grandma or an uncle or an aunt or a coach. Parents that were involved. But for whatever reason, that was missing and they found that across the board with all these people who found themselves in prison in a life of crime that that, that moral compass wasn't pointed in the right direction at that formative stage of their lives. You know, it is just a phase and we don't want to miss it. So we're going to have to be intentional. We're going to talk more about this over the next couple of weeks how um, as parents and leaders within the church, we can be intentional to really hit every phase And help these kids become who they need to be because God and Jesus, they love kids so much. Let's pray. Father, on this Sunday morning service, Lord, as we've gathered around families here who have dedicated their kids, I know in the room we have people who haven't yet begun their journey as parents. We have others who are in the same boat who are waking up in the middle of the night to crying babies. We have some who... Their kids don't ride in car seats anymore and don't need their diapers changed, but they're still young enough to be kids. And then we got others whose kids are in high school and others whose kids have have already moved on to the next chapter of their lives. But every one of us here this morning, wherever we find ourselves, we can make the impact in the life of a child. And especially, Lord, to those parents who are here this morning, who that is the cry of their heart, God, I want to be able to raise my son or my daughter to, to love you to know you, to navigate through the the difficulties of life, knowing that there is a God who finds them precious, who God, who thinks this little girl is a princess. Help us, Lord, with this overwhelming task that we have, just to be intentional, Lord, to create that space in our lives, to be able to have those spiritual conversations, to model Jesus, that one day now, hundreds of years from now, as as, as our lives are looked back on, it wouldn't be how great of an athlete, how great of an academic. It would be whether or not they followed Jesus. So help us in that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.